Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, it's Erica, and welcome back to another episode of In Doubt. Today, we're joined again by Jonathan Evans, leader of the Salvation Army Boundless Vancouver, a church plant in the downtown east side of Vancouver. This week, Jonathan is back with Daniel to continue discussing the challenges surrounding the poor in our society and how we can best serve them. Poverty is all around us, whether we choose to pay attention to it or not. But what role do we as Christians have? Are we called to serve the less fortunate, or are we called to turn a blind eye? We all know the answer to that question, but how do we practically live it out? This is a great episode, and we hope you enjoy it. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin, and today we're jumping back into a discussion that we were having with Jonathan Evans on working with the poor and, and homeless on the downtown east side of Vancouver. So to continue the conversation, here's my next question. Would you describe, let me use like a running illustration for you, okay? So uh, there's sprints and there's marathons. And it seems to me that sometimes, just on a practical level, we like to fix issues like they're sprints. We, we live in a microwave society. Things are done fast. So if we throw a lot of money and a lot of effort at something really quickly, we can actually overcome any issue. Do you think that that has any place in, in helping to serve the poor? Or is it more like a marathon where, look, this is you have to be in this for the long haul, and there might be more tense moments, but look, it's going to be a long, grueling time of faithful presence in the lives of this and taking the long view. Uh, is there elements of both, or do you think it's more one or the other? That's a great question. I remember... Uh... Early on when I came to the downtown east side, I was really inspired by Jackie Pullinger. And she came to Missions Fest and she's like, don't you hate those short-term missionaries? You know, those people who are only around for 10 years? And uh, that's a paraphrase. But I was kind of like, oh, gee, I wasn't thinking of... And we've been here quite some time, uh, but there's people who are called for short-term and there's some people called for long-term. And those long-term people do carry an authority and a weight because of their perspective. But this is what I can say is it's not based on one individual. It's the church. And Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. And he calls us as the church. So whatever your place is in the church, your church should have some relationship with the poor. So it's beyond a marathon. It's an ultra marathon or an ultimate marathon because it's till Jesus comes back and restores his kingdom. That's when it's over. And I can't say that my 18 years here is even significant. Uh, I'm just a part of the whole church's story. Well, yeah, and you're part, you're part of God's story. Like God's weaving his story and you get an opportunity to be a part of that. And, and kind of, I guess my thought is, I, I would land on it, it's both, right? God has so many methods by which he can accomplish his mission, and he calls each of us to a different race. That's right. And it's in relationship. That's the thing is, if you're coming short term, make sure that you're connecting and being led by someone who is here for the long haul. Absolutely. Jonathan, what I want to ask you about now is, 
and I'll, I'll kind of lead with this question. How do we get over the feeling of, of being taken advantage of in trying to help the poor and the marginalized? Because it could be really easy to just be like, well, they don't need our help. Yet we're called to do so. So have there been instances where you've been taken advantage of? And how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I've been taken advantage of. And that happened a lot when I first came because I was naive and ignorant. And because I wanted to be the nice, good Christian, I did things wrong. What I can say is our interaction with people in the margins can be very transactional. And when it becomes transactional, then we're doing harm to them and ourselves. We can be harmed. But when we come in a posture, of generosity. We don't care about being taken advantage of. We see the person. And I think about right now, Jesus, when he goes to the pool of Siloam and he sees the person, and then he asks, do you want to be well? And I think that's the other thing is seeing what is the deeper need? What's the real need? And those things cannot be achieved by handouts. Those things cannot be uh, achieved short term. Those things require ongoing relationship, support, transformation, hope. Sometimes the best things that we can give people are hope. I do have one little story to share. In our days, like this is, it still happens, but it's not an official program. But we had something called, because we're the Salvation Army, right? So we had street combat. And street combat was going out on the streets, going through the alleys, finding people in cubby holes and stuff and making sure that one, they are not overdosed or dead and seeing if they need help or prayer. And one person, uh, me and my partner, we went, we prayed for this person and they were out of it and we prayed for them and they stood up. And then we had one of the best evangelical conversations a Christian could have. This person on the spot was hungry about knowing about God and we, we shared, answered all the questions, and then they received the invitation to pray to become a Christian that night. So we were very excited. Then they, they even wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we were so, and then they were like, we were hugging after. We, and then afterwards, we met as a larger group, and that person came with us, held hands in our group, and gave a little testimony. And uh, we, you know we said amen, and it was like the best experience ever. Well, two days after I get a phone call and it's like, who is this? <laughs> and I was like, uh, this is Jonathan. And, you know, I said their name and um, how are you doing now? And they're like, who are you? And they just did not have any memory of that whole situation. And that, the, the reason I tell the story is that person even had my phone number because we were going to enter a discipleship relationship. They were going to come over to my house and come to my cell group, which that actually did happen. But Sometimes we have expectations or put more meaning into the experience than it does for the other person. And what we need to do is have an ongoing relationship. Is, and I think we do this with all, a bunch of our uh, evangelism. It's actually Jesus said to go into the world and make disciples, not just converts. So, uh, but I think that, that kind of helps. And that's really, if there's a listener today, I would say, think about one person. Pray about God to give you an encounter with one person that you could have an ongoing relationship who is 
more in the margins and who you could discover God's activity already at work and partner in on that and grow yourself uh, alongside this other person by recognizing their humanity and seeing God's redemption at play by the spirit in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, realizing, hey, they are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, and that you just keep hitting on relationship. And that's something that we just always encourage people. It's about being right relationship with God and right relationship with people. And what we find is that when the relationship with God broke, instantly the relationship between man and woman broke too, right? But through Christ, right? I love how Colossians says it. He says, Paul writes to us, he says that Christ is the firstborn of all creation. And the way I understand this passage is Paul's basically saying, you want to know what it means to, to truly be human? Look to how Christ lived. And you see exactly that, him going and having ongoing relationships and telling us, hey, make disciples, not just converts. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the other thing is about some of the criticism is, hey, are you just talking about like the social gospel, like making people's lives better by things and programs and services? And that's a big part of it. But what I, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 17. Three, And it says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so I think union with God is such, well, in, in my life, that's what keeps me on track is my knowledge of my friend, Jesus. And by his spirit, he speaks to me. He makes me whole. He helps me through my worries, my anxieties, my downtimes, my joys, Uh, It's in knowing Jesus that life is realized. And unless we're actually taking the step of making Jesus a part of the conversation, that's life in this life and the next to come. And so I think that's where faith-based organizations, well, one is you see a lot more of them here in the downtown east side. And I think that's because the strong biblical command uh, to be involved with the poor. But the other thing is there's an effective power. and I work and have a lot of relationships with guys who have gone through recovery. And there's a distinction I'd make is there's people who got clean uh, by not doing drugs, but there's something still missing. But those who meet Jesus and have that completion in the gospel, knowing that I've done horrible things, but God loves me so much, and knowing that ongoing love and support, they've recovered. They're, They're beyond recovery. Yeah, their soul, their soul is transformed, like their soul's recovered. And I think that comes back to what we were talking about is poverty of spirit, which is what makes us whole, what makes us complete, not so vulnerable and defensive, not trying to complete ourselves. I think that comes from knowing Jesus. And I've been able to see that in a lot of people's lives. And that's, that's the other great gift is, well, I think Tozer said something like 90% of what we do in the church can be like done on human means. But that's one of the great things about working in areas and with people who are in the margins is you see miracles. Like you see things that only God can do. And those are great joys. And it's like no glory to me. It's like, I didn't do anything, but I get to see the power of God. And when he does that, this is the other thing is they can't shut up about God because he's done a great work. And so their testimony is bold and their faith is 
you know, they still have ups and downs, especially because discipleship can be really tricky when people come from broken paths with lots of drugs and broken relationships. Discipleship's tough, but their fervency and knowing the power of God, they just know, like, nobody could convince them that God isn't real because one, they've encountered him and they've seen his power in their life. So that's, I need that. I need to see those things. Yeah. Well, it's encouraging to you as well. And it, it it's a reminder that I'm not alone in this, but that God's actually, he's the one going before me. Um, th- this way, what you're describing kind of reminds me of almost like a bicycle, right? Because with a bicycle, you have two pedals and you have to pedal both at the same time for the bicycle to really work well. Like if, if one pedal is broken and, and you're just trying to meet spiritual needs, then you're lacking on the physical needs and, and people need that. That's a way you can actually really help. You can show you care. But if all you give is physical needs, right? And you're lacking on the spiritual needs, right? Like it, it doesn't work either. It just seems to be like there is a balance and you want the, you want the bike to move, you have to pedal both. And uh, I, I think when you see those two things working in harmony, it's, it's a really beautiful thing because otherwise I think it can become unhelpful. Yeah, I think our best relationships are those that are intimate. And so I think in my life, the most intimacy I have is when I pray with my wife. And there's an intimacy that happens there that doesn't happen. It's where I'm bearing my soul. This is my deepest fear, my deepest need, my deepest hurt, my deepest joy. And when I share that with her, we feel united and complete. And I'd say, you know, look what God did in Jesus. He shared his deepest self with us. He revealed his heart. He met our needs. And so then that's also the model of how do we work with the poor? Enter that relationship. Enter that bicycle ride of faith and works. And in going deeper with people, uh, we find those relationships to be transformative. A three-bounded cord is not easily broken. And when we enter relationships, we find actually God's there too. He's strengthening this and strengthening us. And maybe we could talk now about the rich young ruler. There's a part, and especially nowadays, we're, we're being aware of our white privilege, our young millennialism. And what do we need to break that is actually the perspective of another person. And so uh, we need to, to get beyond our bubbles. You actually need a relationship with someone who is completely different than you, someone who will disagree with you, someone who will call you on your stuff and say, yeah, that doesn't make sense. And that person probably doesn't exist in your world right now. And so this guy, uh, the rich young ruler, he's called, he goes to Jesus and he says, you know, like, what do I have to do to inherit? Uh, So that's a powerful word. And and then, you know, Jesus has a banter back with him and he's like, well, what have you done? Yeah. Inherit eternal life, right? Is what he says. What does the Bible say? And he quotes some of the commandments. And then he says, Hey, one, one thing you lack. Actually, it, uh, it says, Jesus, it says, he looked at him and loved him. And this is the thing is, this is actually like you're going to the doctor, you've got cancer, and the doctor says, hey, I know what's going to heal you kind of advice here. And he says, sell all you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And the thing is, he was sad because he couldn't do that. His comfort, his uh, physical inheritance held him back from stepping forward into that way of Jesus. And so I really don't think that there's much of a way to hold on to the things of the world 
hold on to the things that we want and still follow Jesus. They're mutually exclusive from my reading of the Bible. Yeah. Well, and there's an interesting aspect of that I've come across in that story too in some of my study is Jesus, as he's calling people to him, there, there's a scene where Jesus will talk about, he says, who are my mother and brother, right? He, he says, these are my mothers, and he's, he's pointing to like other believers, people who are following him. And that's a really shocking moment because Jesus is saying, you know, I have a biological family, which in the ancient world, your strong group was like, that's unbreakable. The family is the most important thing. Like your biological brothers and sisters are more important in the ancient world than your spouses. And that's, that's difficult for us to, to grab. Uh, but when Jesus says, hey, guess what? These followers of me, these other Christians are more important than my biological family. That is crazy. And so one of the things Christ is saying is give all that up and use that money and give it to your brothers and sisters who are in need. And he is like not willing to make that jump. Maybe that's an interesting place to jump in because I, I don't know if a lot of Christians are, are willing to do that with their own money, time, efforts, relationships, to be like seeing the low and the marginalized as actually, no, this is part of your family if you call yourself a Christian. And we can tend to neglect that aspect of the family. Does, does that make sense kind of where I was going with that? And does that, any of that resonate with you? Really resonates with me. And uh, look, I'm not a boomer, okay? So don't say, hey, boomer about this. But so we're doing uh, COVID relief. We're doing lots of hampers. We're, we're seeing hundreds of people every day come to the Salvation Army and get food, support, gift cards for grocery stores to support. And people who you'd never thought, hey, I'm going to need a handout. I'm going to need the Salvation Army's help. They're coming to us now. And so we need a lot of help doing this. And what's been surprising to me is, and this is like the sort of the critique of millennials, right? Is they're lazy, they put themselves first, and there's always exceptions, but this is what happened two weeks ago. We had a group of guys, you know, there's no, they're not in school and stuff. They're actually getting paid by the government to volunteer for us, but they didn't come and they didn't call. And so we kind of followed up. My friend followed up with them and it was like, oh yeah, well, we stayed up the night before, so we couldn't come in. And they said, I don't want to get burnt out. But it was really just putting, I, I was off put and that's like, I was disappointed uh, because people who gave me their word that they were going to help out other people, you know, decided, well, what I want is more important than that. And uh, I just thought, you know, this is not like, who's teaching them to fulfill responsibilities? Like, and uh, like, I'm not, they're old enough to be their parent, but I was like, there's a generational divide here. And that's why I think that rich young ruler story is so important today because we like, and my kids always say like, talk about history and stuff. And I'm like, Hey, one thing we want to make sure that you guys know is you are the richest of all time. Like the richest person a hundred years ago doesn't have what you have. Uh, you you are like a hundred years ago, you would be the richest person in the world. 
So what do we do with our privilege? What do we do with the things that we love? And, and the thing is, to live your life, you need to lose it. The thing that you are holding on to is stopping you from being who you can become. And we see this in Jesus. He was empty-handed, so empty-handed he could em put his hands empty on a cross. Well, do likewise. That to truly follow Jesus is to not to hold on to the world, not have the world hold on to us. It's materials, it's agendas, it's thoughts and philosophies. In fact, I could say being a Christian or following Jesus is all about living in freedom. And the thing that we need to be free from is the thing we love the most. Right. Those idols in our life that we, whether that be money or relationships or status, beauty, you name it. Yeah. And why? Because those things were, were tempted to form our identity or to prove our existence with those things. But the only thing that proves our existence for the Christian is the voice of Jesus. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I died for you. I dwell with you. Paying attention to that voice, that's the real self. All the other stuff, that's false self that we should run away from. Well, those are things that if you build your identity on those, they will fail you. They always do. And I love what you were saying there. Like Jesus, he comes in with nothing so that his hands can be nailed to a cross spread out. Well, more than that, like he was stripped naked, right? They, they took his clothes and he did that for us. He gave up not only his physicalness, he's put on display, he's shamed, he's brutally murdered. And on a spiritual level, he's abandoned by God, right? In that moment on the cross. And he does that for us. And so when you really let that melt your heart, you realize he did that for you, that changes everything. And you can finally be like, what couldn't I give? He gave me his life. He gave everything. How could I not also uh, give as much as I can in return? I think a true follower of Jesus says, what, what wouldn't I do? My, when my master calls, what wouldn't I do? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think in that point, Jesus' abandonment like the, and that's a really good point is sometimes the things that we let go, it's, it's not like I actually chose to let those things, some things are taken from us. That draws me to um, the Beatitudes. And actually, this is the way of life. I used to read these and I'd say like, I'd interpret them like, oh, because I was just so entrenched with Jesus wants me to have a productive, rich, comfortable life. But I actually found out the way of following Jesus is down, downward mobility, letting go. There's a lot of suffering in that uh, because that's who I'm following is a suffering servant. Uh, and he does put good things in our life. But at the cross, he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the thing is to read that whole Psalm. And it's actually in that point where Jesus has everything taken from him, even his breath. He has the fullest and most sense of faith and hope that his father, he knew he would be resurrected. He knew what God was accomplishing. And he was fully united with the father's purpose and activity in the world in that sacrificial giving. So how does that relate to us? It's actually when we're willing to let go, when we're willing to 
have things and rejoice that we're persecuted or when people say bad things about us or when we're mourning or when our, we're poor in spirit, it's, it says we're blessed or we're being like Jesus is probably the best translation of that. You're living into the life of Jesus when you're experiencing these things. Why? Because the only thing you can hold on to is hope and faith. And all you have is that still small voice. God's, you're doing the right thing. And that's when your, your enemies are loud or nobody's supporting you. Uh, and where do we find those places? With the poor. So there's a great avenue to transformation growth, to know Jesus better. And that's really what this should be about. It's not proving, like doing things so God will love us. It's actually like, I'm discovering Jesus here. Mm -hmm. Well, as we come in for a landing here, Jonathan, let me ask you, what is one thing as you look at young adults engaging the poor that frustrates you, that you would want to see changed? And then what is one thing that excites you about young adults who want to see change? Yeah, the, the thing that's, that hurts, and it's really because I know that they're not living their fullness, is when they're inconsistent, they're not committed, they're not devoted, and they're trying to get something from their activity, like some badge, something, a good social media post, you know, like doing this for recognition and stuff is kind of like, oh, that kind of makes me feel bad. But I don't, I'm not angry. I just kind of feel like, oh, there's this narcissistic way of giving to others. It's not about that. And I think that a lot of people would say, well, yeah, because you're only seeing the stuff that people post and stuff. Uh, so that's one side. Um, the thing that really excites me is how talented, educated, where people could enter like careers or fields uh, and make six figures, but they've given that up because they've heard Jesus' invitation to say work in the Salvation Army or other nonprofits that are Christian, or maybe as a school teacher or like when people find their vocation and they give things up to follow Jesus and they find agency, they find God's work in that, they find fulfillment. I like this Frederick Beekner quote, which is the place where God calls you is where the world's deep hunger and your passion intersect. And I, I see that all the time because of where I work and I go, man, these are great people. Uh, and they're not in it for a job. This is their vocation. I love that. Well, uh, Jonathan, thank you for your time. Thank you for your passion and the work you're doing. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You're a great podcast host. <laughs> you're too kind. Thanks so much for listening to part two of the conversation with Jonathan Evans. We're so grateful to Jonathan for joining us these last couple of weeks, and we hope you've been inspired to re-examine your own biases against the poor in your communities. If you'd like to learn more about Jonathan and the Salvation Army, you can check out SalvationArmyVancouver.com. We'll have it linked on the episode page on our website. If you've been enjoying the In Doubt podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us a message on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or send us an email to info at indoubt.ca, letting us know how In Doubt has shaped your worldview or answered some of the toughest questions that life has thrown at you. We're all about community here at In Doubt, so feel free to connect with us. And we can't wait for you to join us next week as Daniel is back with Dr. Josh Cruz. 
a psychologist who will be discussing the differences between Christians and non-Christians when it comes to conversations about our mental health. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of In Doubt. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.